The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and a special addition to the desk tonight, top strategist and Fast Money friend Tony Dwyer of Canaccord. Tonight on Fast, don't look now, but Bitcoin is crashing. In fact, the entire crypto universe is tanking. We'll tell you what's going on and just how bad the selling could get. Plus, the countdown is on. There are only 40 days until Christmas. And something just happened in the retail space today that could spell big trouble for the holidays. We will explain. We start off with what was a wild day on Wall Street. The Dow swinging about 500 points during the course of the day after being up more than 200 on the Dow, falling 300, then climbing back. The Dow sold off into the close, ending the day down about 200 points. Financial sector leading those declines. And it's been a bank bloodbath in just the past week. Goldman Sachs, the biggest loser here, down 13%, followed by Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and J.P. Morgan, all under pressure as well. So what is wrong with the banks? Is the bank trade left for dead? Guy. First of all, Tony Dwyer, he gets a special special yes. Single box. Yeah. yeah. My family You've never had a single special. box, right, in the introduction. I have not. jealous? <laughs> I've been here for like 36 years. Yeah, at least. incredible. I am a little jelly. That's what you guys say. (laughs) Listen, I've tried to make what I thought was a cogent, intelligent, whatever word you want to use, argument for being long to banks for a long time now. A couple weeks ago, I said, you know, sometimes you're just wrong. Sometimes you're just wrong. And the banks are proving that day after day. Each one of the banks you mentioned, I can make an excuse for. Goldman Sachs feels like Goldman Sachs specific. I think this Malaysia situation is probably bigger than the market gives it credit for. And I think you're starting to see ramifications now. I also think Goldman Sachs is trying to change their business. And it's not easy to change that kind of aircraft carry around. Number one, J.P. Morgan caught up in the collateral damage, not nearly down as much as the rest of them because they are best in breed. But you look at Morgan Stanley, they get an asset management shrinking margins there. And then you look at Citibank, which is fascinating to me. Tangible book, I think, at Citibank, give or take 62 and a half, 63 dollars, trading about 1.1, 1.15 times tangible book. Why is that? I happen to think it's for European exposures, and I think maybe the real problem and the systemic risk for our banks comes from Europe. Well, I'll tell you, look at all the banks. They haven't performed in the best environment. So now you get an environment that's not as good, and all of a sudden everything gets sold off. What I find interesting is people worried about a flat yield curve. Well, since August, that yield curve has steepened a bit, so the banks should do well there. They haven't. The other thing you need to be concerned about, high-yield bonds or even investment-grade bonds. The credit quality in those are under question. I'm not saying things are falling apart. I'm just saying, as traders, you're looking at that and saying, you know what, maybe the bank's balance sheets aren't as strong as they were two or three months ago, therefore, and they haven't worked in a great environment, so now maybe I don't want to be in them. And things could change with the new Congress. I mean, what really sparked some of the sell-off today is what Maxine Waters said earlier. She, of course, a Democrat poised to take over the House Financial Services Committee. Take a listen to what she said. Make no mistake, come January in this committee, the days of this committee, weakening regulations and putting our economy once again at risk of another financial crisis will come to an end. Will come to an end. Deregulation was a big tailwind for the banks. Right. 
And right. now... Deregulation was a big tailwind. I don't think, I mean, the pendulum has swung, you know, way too far. And now, you know, it was swinging back the other way towards less regulation. I don't think we got to the place of, oh, it was way too loosely regulated. Right. I don't think we were remotely close to that. I don't love to see that kind of rhetoric for the banks. I think that was clearly some of what caused the banks to sell off today. The other part, they're being stocks. It was a terrible market for stocks. I, I'm, you know, like, Guy, they each have their own little story of why they're not good. Goldman sort of on the side. I agree. City, you know, we have some foreign exposure there. You would think, OK, what about Bank America then? Bank America is very U.S. It is a bank. It's, right. you know, U.S. Economy all, is right, strong, all of that. Bank America, somewhat disappointing. It's rallied a little in the last couple of weeks, but still disappointing. I'm long. Bank America, Citibank, J.P. Morgan, frustrated with them each. I don't know that Warren is enough to to uh, Warren Buffett take Warren his stake, yeah. right, is enough to uh, save know, the day. It, uh, earlier, up until today, Mel, the banks were actually acting a lot better off the low. The home builders were acting a lot better off the low. The interest rate sensitive areas were acting better off the low. I would put the entire market move today to the Washington kind of comment. What happens in a market with no structure? In other words, you got algorithms, computerized trading, no specialists, no market makers. What happens is you go into a vacuum and in a comment out of nowhere, when there's really no edge in a retest, you're going to get a whoosh. And that's what today was, was a whoosh in the banks out of that. Now, just to, as a real quickie, the senior loan officer surveyed the Fed today that was released last night, showed that banks eased their lending standards in the, in the end of the month. Think about that. They eased their lending standards, and they said that with a flat yield curve, it has not impacted their lending standards. If it inverts, it will dramatically, but they act, the Fed actually asked the question to the banks, does a flattening yield curve affect your lending standards? The answer was no. What about late in the cycle lending standards? Would right. You, right. right. I mean, it begs that, the it, question, are they easing way too late? They've been easy. That's the whole thing. It's the, the, the lending standards, there's been nothing wrong with credit. In general, no, there's been, been nothing. It's Credit's been great. been great. So the fundamental backdrop, you're kind of shaking your head saying, wait, what? What?" And then they come out with the lending survey, which looked really good. And that doesn't mean the stocks are going to go up when you're in a market swoon. But I think today was a lot more about that comment out of uh, Rep Waters than anything else. You know, it's funny is that you said a, a comment out of nowhere, and it was out of nowhere in the sense that we heard the comment today for the first time, but Correct. it wasn't out of nowhere oh, yeah. in the sense that once Election Day happened and we knew Maxine Waters was likely to take over the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, we knew that this was the likely statement that she would make regarding regulation and the banks, and yet we have a reaction still. Imagine yeah. when she actually does something, what the reaction <laughs> will be. And maybe that's the time to get in. But, I mean, these banks have been going down a lot longer before that we knew Maxine Waters was going to take any power position in terms of the band. I mean, they've been going down for the last, well, by and large, for the right. last six months. It hasn't been particularly good environment. So again, you have to ask yourself, like the autos, and we've had the conversation, if banks can't rally in the environment that we find ourselves in for the last year, when everything has seemingly gone their way, except for the market over the last month or so, when are they going to rally? And, and it's, so my earlier point you have to, at a certain point, you just have to say, I'm wrong, and take a fresh look and say, maybe banks shouldn't be trading at the multiple that I thought they should be trading at. And maybe there is something structurally wrong with, with that sector. Are you at that point? Are you close to that point? Are you mentally even thinking? No, I maybe try to think, if I came to this sector today uh -huh. with no history and no feeling like, God, this has been frustrating for, a year, for six months or a year, I'd want to buy them right here. I really would. I don't know what is between that comment her saying that, and the point you brought up, to some sort of 
regulatory change. I don't, a lot has to happen between that comment and, and I don't know that we get there. But, you know, clearly, since part of the reason to own the banks was a new regulatory regime that would be more friendly to the banks, this isn't good, but I feel the valuations are attractive. Well, and the th- here's the thing is we had the market rallied after the election because we thought nothing would get undone. So it's kind of a little crazy to Tony's point to think that one comment today, right. all of a sudden everybody thinks, wow, now there's going to be all kinds of regulations. I'm not in that camp. I'm more in Guy's camp where they had massive tailwinds. Uh, it, and it, now what it, you know, now the tailwinds are going away at the very least or they're lighter than they were before. How are they going to perform in this environment? And I think that's why people are selling them. It can't be a sell both ways. You, you can't have a sale because the regulatory environment's too good and it can only get worse. And then you can't have a sale because the regulatory environment's going to get worse and it can't get better. You can't, in both directions, you've already, it's been wrong. I mean, it, it's been a wrong trade. I've been on it. It's wrong. You can compound a mistake by making it two wrongs. And to, to exactly Karen's point, you, if you came in cold here, would you buy the banks? The yield curve is steeping and a little bit off the low. It's likely that the Fed, on the back of home building and some other issues, is, and inflation break-evens, is going to soften their language in December. Can you imagine? You walk into the end of November, you get a trade resolution of some sort. They shake hands and hug it out. Right. And then the financials get a, and then you get a lift because Fed Powell says, yes, we're raising rates. You're going to get a lift to every back. single stock in the right. market. I'm not convinced. Not, I don't. My opinion doesn't mean anything here amongst these traders, but I don't know if the financials are going to have the most torque in that scenario. They and did, it w- won't be the bank. But they haven't they had have the have downside either. Until not that today, kind of they did off the low. True. Until today, you were getting a lift in the interest-sensitive stocks. The two-year note yield has been dropping more than the 10-year note yield, which to me is an indication, given that inflation break-evens are coming down, that the market okay. is starting to think the Fed's not going so, to be as So So let's, let's think of that best case scenario that could happen in the next month or so, right? Um, there's some sort of trade resolution, trade and, resolution. and maybe Powell like indicates that he's a little bit more dovish or something like that. What rips, what technology. rips the most? Technology. I, in my opinion, technology yeah. rips. Not to say that banks won't rally, sure, sure. but I think if you're asking, I think technology rallies with a two beta as opposed to a one beta for the banks, in my opinion. I would say multinationals or EM. Dollar's going to come down. Those are the ones that have been killed. That's the, the epicenter of this whole thing. So do you still want to own banks? I think you got, I think you got to buy the interest-sensitive names because the only thing that gets us out of this malaise is going to be a softening of the tone of Powell because nothing else has worked, including better language and trade. All right, so if there's one chart, one chart that you have to see this week, Tony here says it is this one, and it could be a sign that we are in the midst of hitting the market bottom. So, Tony, why don't you head over to the plasma and break Great. it down for Thanks, us. Great. Thanks, Mel. So... The one thing in, in late September when we put out a piece called The Market is Ripe for Volatility, it was based on you had, no vol- you had historically low volatility and historically high enthusiasm and optimism in the market. That was an environment that's ripe for volatility, and man, did we get it. So we track volatility on the 10-week rate of change, not just the VIX, but the 10-week rate of change, how it's changed over the last 10 weeks on that VIX, the CBO volatility index. And we found when it gets over 90, that's what each of these uh, arrows signify, you get into a market low. 
It's not right away. And I think what you really have to notice on all these points is that you retest the low. You make a climatic low where volatility really spikes off a low level. And then you make a climatic low. You bounce hard. We call it the slop, pop, and drop. You, you have a sloppy bottom. You lift like you did the 7% in seven days. And then you come back and retest the low. But the first sign over the last few years that you've been in that is this 10-week rate of change on the VIX when it hits 90, which it did on October in October. All right, Tony, why don't you come on, you know, maybe not. Oh, no, okay, fine, maybe come on. Not. Just joking. See, that was close. It was close. I mean, I that was fast. Right? I mean, that was, was the end of my own That wasn't really yeah. good. That would be kind of awkward to have an empty chair at the desk all show. So what, you, what did you like about or not like about Tony? Well, Stark? so here's, here's, here's what's interesting. is talking about volatility peaking. The one thing that the Federal Reserve did at the lows was remove volatility. So now they've been putting it back in. If we get some kind of, I'll call it a dovish rate hike in December, Fed goes, goes uh, it raises interest rates, and then at the meeting has some dovish language. If you get that, that would signal that perhaps the volatility, they're starting to take a little of the volatility out of the market. And again, I think after you've had this big downturn, there is a tradable opportunity here. So you start to see stuff like Tony saying, volatility peaking. You start to see the dollar coming in. Those are signs that you want to start buying again. All signs are inflation is on track. It is healthy at this point. Uh, Fed uh, Chair Powell is going to be speaking tonight. Right. It's a Q&A session. He could talk, and yeah. he indicates that the path is still on. And I'd say good for him. I know I'm in the, in yeah. the minority camp here, without question. I know Jim Cramer has much different views. Most of the market participants do. I'm in the minority do. with you, though. Thank you. Okay. Well, so I'm but glad go you're with me, because I think they're doing the exact right thing. If, the, if our economy, which is the greatest economy in the history of the public, not my words, the president's, can't get us, can't withstand us getting to a normalized rate, then we're maybe it's not as strong as we think. I think the Chairman Powell is doing everything exactly right. His focus, his purview should not be making the United States stock market go higher. Check out shares of Cisco. That stock is rallying after its earnings report. We'll hear from CEO Chuck Robbins about the quarter. Plus, crypto combustion. The entire space under heavy selling pressure today after a crypto civil war takes a turn for the worst. We will explain exactly what is going on. And it is the make-or-break moment for the retail rally with two big names reporting earnings tomorrow ahead of the Christmas crush. We'll tell you what to expect. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Macy's making a huge reversal on the back of earnings today. Despite beating expectations, Macy's shares closing down more than 7% after concerning comments about shipment costs on the conference call sent the stock reeling. And as the holidays draw close, just 40 days away from Christmas, Guy. 40 days away. Can you believe it? Could Macy's be signaling a warning sign for the rest of retail? Karen, what do you think? Yeah, oh, what a frustrating day, Macy's. I mean, strong revenue growth, so that was really good, right? You like that? That's always good to see. Uncertainty around gross margins. This was the crux of the issue here. Their gross margins, 40.3%, even with the revenue growth, 
That's a problem because you want to see if they're, if they're selling at full price, which they seem to be doing a better job of. You want to see gross margins improved. However, gross margins also include delivery costs. So all of this online expansion has delivery costs that come with it. There was a lot of uncertainty around that. If they're doing so well yet still can't improve their gross margins, what does that mean if times get tougher, right? And then there were some puts and takes. Cold weather, that's good. Dollar, not so good. Putting all of that together, and there was some confusion when I read the transcript of the conference call. It sounded a little bit different to me than the call itself. When you listened to the call When itself. I listened to the call and then read the transcript, the transcript I saw said margin, something about will see margin impact. Um, and I didn't hear that so clearly on the call. So maybe we'll see some margin improvement. Not a huge amount, though. All of that together, I think the response in the stock was really way beyond uh -huh. what they reported. Sure. Way beyond. 40 days till Christmas, yeah. Guy. 40 Counting days down. till Christmas. Christmas the, the holiday, Christmas season, holiday season, when the calendar says December with a D, uh -huh. then, then we can have the conversation. We're still in November. We haven't made it to gobble, gobble, turkey gobble, day gobble yet. Gobble, gobble day is one week away. Right? One, it, one week yes, away it is. gobble, it's gobble day. It's, it is it's one the, week away. It's right next the Thursday. Next gobble, gobble. Right, so yeah. after hump day, it's gobble, yeah. how was your turkey day? Yeah. So let's, let's just sort of tone it down, because you start, by the way, in June with the holiday season start, and that really <laughs> irks, you, irks me. Which is why I do it. Does it with an eye, number one. put up your lights. Now let's talk about the retailers about retail. for a second. Because we had Apple worn on fourth quarter, we had Amazon on fourth quarter, Home Depot on fourth quarter. Concerns about right, and everybody's you know, strong. and again going back to the consumer, and and Tony, I can agree to disagree on this one. I'm of the belief that a market sell-off causes a recession. What does that mean? Well, if 73% of the economy is driven by the consumer, as long as the market's going up, people feel richer, whether that's justified or not, they will spend money. You see a market sell-off of any magnitude, maybe they're not going to spend as much. Number one, number two. The retailers over the last couple of weeks, the reason they rallied, in my opinion, is because everybody got offsides in the long Amazon trade, short retailer trade, and they're getting out of it now. So that's why you saw a stock like Macy's go from 32 to 38 in about a week. I thought it was unjustified, and we talked about it. We did, when we go over to the board that Tony was just at, what do they call that thing? The plasma. The smart board, right? The smart board, but when you're there, it's the plasma. When I'm there, it's anything but. But in the spring, we did a power pitch, and we talked about, I think, J.W. Nordstrom's was trading $51. We power pitched that when everybody hated it, and the thing went up like a rocket ship. And then it sold off in the summer, as it should. But the move recently is unjustified. I think people that are getting out of their short retailer trade against that Amazon are going to get themselves equally offsides this earnings period. All right. We are definitely going to agree to disagree because you've never had a recession in the U.S. on the back of a market crack. The market crack can happen because of credit. It can happen because of slow spending, because of credit. But you've never first had a market crash and then a recession. We're not talking about a recession, though, Tony. No, yeah, but, said, but quickly, said, well, I would say, you know, spending. I mean, I don't want to do a revisionist stuff here. I mean, 08, 09, I mean, that sell-off scared a lot of people. I think, again, oh, it's yeah, semantics. Credit, but credit was a Okay, so let's, let's go with this. Consumers are not supposed to do well, and consumer stocks don't traditionally do well when interest rates are going up. So autos and home building shouldn't have been doing well over the last year and a half. Now, you have periods where they spike, and, but then they ultimately give it up because it's more expensive to buy stuff on credit. So ditto, well, ditto for retail. So, so we'll get, listen, on retail tomorrow morning, we get a couple more pieces of the puzzle. Right. We get uh, Nordstrom's. We get Walmart. That should give us a broad spectrum of what's going on. You see those two weakness, then I will call the holiday season, uh, you know, concern for that. 
even though it's not quite there yet, we still have another week. There's a Wednesday, which is a hump day. Hump day. And then and we get to gobble, gobble. gobble day, right? And then it's Merry Merry. And it's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. 40 days till Christmas, people. Yeah. Still ahead, check out shares of Cisco soaring after its earnings report. We will hear what the CEO is telling Wall Street right after this break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Yep, that's what Bitcoin looked like today. And we'll tell you what's happening in the crypto universe that's causing major panic. Plus, it's hard out there for a hedge fund manager. We'll tell you why the smart money isn't looking so smart this year, despite all the volatility. Much more Fast Money right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to Fast Money. The crypto market is in meltdown mode. Bitcoin suddenly spiraling today, down more than 10%, hitting its lowest level in a year. This after what's been a quiet few months for crypto. A crypto baller, BK, is over at the Plasma to tell us exactly what is going on. BK. Yeah, thanks, Mel. So after some real quiet period, lowest volatility, almost in Bitcoin history, all of a sudden today, things exploded. So what happened? So Bitcoin Cash, which is the one that forked off of Bitcoin last year, is doing a hard fork. What's a hard fork? It's effectively a software upgrade. That's the easiest way to think about it. Now, when you do a software upgrade, everybody usually agrees. But in this particular case, everybody is not agreeing about what that software upgrade should be. So we've got ourselves a crypto civil war is what they're calling it here. And that has people in the market concerned. So what happened today? People are concerned that both Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash markets, their networks might slow down. They might not work as well. That software upgrade might not go through, or if it does go through, we'll end up with some chaos. People started selling. That triggered stops. Everybody got concerned, and that's what happened today. The entire market sell down. In my view, very short-term type of event. I think it's probably an opportunity. In fact, we did some buying at my fund today. Let's just take a look at uh, the charts here. Okay, so here's Bitcoin. Like I said, I mean, there's just nothing going on. I was falling asleep back then. Then all of a sudden today, it falls apart, breaks through the year's lows down to 5,500. You know what I thought was interesting, though? Take a look at the other one here, Ethereum. That's the next chart that we have there. Here we go. 
Yes, let's take a look at Ethereum. Well, you know what's interesting with Ethereum is it was going sideways, but today it actually had better performance than Bitcoin. It outperformed Bitcoin, particularly on the upside. So if you're looking to play this and you don't understand the hard fork, and I would say, if you don't understand what a hard fork is, do not jump into that pool right now. It is the deep end. But take a look at Ethereum. Might be interesting. That's something I bought today. All right, Beeks, thank you. Why don't you come on over? And by the way, in case you guys haven't noticed, our Bitcoin bug is now new and improved because we don't just feature Bitcoin. We're actually rotating through all the major cryptocurrencies so you can um, keep track of how they're doing right now as we speak. Well, let's bring in Melton Demures, CoinShares Chief Strategy Officer, for more on what has been a very rough ride for the crypto universe. Melton, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me back. It's great um, to be here. Not okay. a great day, maybe. but No, it's I'll a terrible it. day if you're, long, if you're long any of these cryptos. Um, BK was saying this is a short-term selling event. Is there a short-term, is there a catalyst to the upside after this? Absolutely. I think what we're seeing, as BK pointed out, we had six months of Bitcoin and a lot of other assets trading sideways. And I think there were just a number of events that piled up that led to this mass release, the sell-off. It happened this morning around 10 a.m. Eastern time. My view, it's probably some institutions, some funds deleveraging, taking some money off the table. Anytime there are forks, things tend to trade weird and strange. Um, so I think people are trying to take some risk off the table. There are a number of exciting events coming up. In December, ICE's new subsidiary, Bact, is going to launch. It'll offer institutional Bitcoin trading services to start. Mm -hmm. That's a positive catalyst. We saw this last year with uh, the futures that started trading in November. Those were the major catalysts that led to Bitcoin's run to 20,000. And then in January, we'll see Fidelity's new crypto custody arm starting to operate. So as they add new clients, maybe we'll see some of this institutional money actually materialize. It doesn't sound like you think that Bitcoin is in a financial crisis, which is the exact wording of the notes that I got. Yes. What do you mean by Bitcoin is in a financial crisis? Because that sounds terrible. It doesn't sound like there would be any catalyst for an asset in financial crisis. Absolutely. So I think Bitcoin is the asset that's held strength. It's over 50% market dominance right now. I think all other assets that are not Bitcoin are in the midst of a liquidity crisis. What we're seeing across the board is asset prices are down 75% or more, in some cases 95%, very thinly traded. Over 80% of the assets in the market today had less than $10 million in monthly trading volume really thinly traded, basically no activity. And I think we're now at a point where projects are running out of money. They're going to need to start firing employees. They're going to need to cut costs. We're going to see consolidation. And some of these assets inevitably will get marked to zero. After all, this is a speculator's game at the long tail of the crypto asset bubble. And we're starting to see this come to fruition now. So I have a question. So we're, whip, we're whipping through all these ones on our new ticker here, all the different names. Sure. Are you saying these kind of the bigger ones, let's call them the top 10 in market cap. And I know that's somewhat controversial metric, but are those going to get marked to zero? Or are we talking about names that maybe we haven't heard about? We don't talk a lot about here. Sure. I still think it's anyone's game. A lot of those top 10 assets are fairly early in their life cycle. As we've talked about before, during the dot-com bubble, I wasn't there, but we saw you know, companies in 2000 were trading at 75% to the low of their all-time high, and that persisted for a long time. And some of those companies inevitably went out of business. But what I think is the more interesting metric is during the dot-com boom, companies that were created in the first six years were the ones that survived, which to me indicate there is a first mover advantage in the crypto game, which is why I think we've seen Bitcoin, which just hit its 10-year anniversary, has performed fairly well over time. So what happened today? How much volume did Bitcoin trade versus, you know, the average over the last couple of weeks? Absolutely. So it's difficult to tell. So there's publicly traded 
Bitcoin markets. So liquidity on those markets today was $6 billion, but there's a lot of OTC volume that's not accounted for. And a lot of reports have also documented some of the challenges of getting precise numbers, which make it difficult to look at day-to-day -day flow. But it was a 2x uptick, so not a material amount of movement. But to be case point over there on the plasma, as I was <laughs> uh, we saw a lot of people who had shorts or other positions out that got liquidated, saw those positions called. And I think when that starts to happen, people look at the risk across the board in their portfolio, their allocation mix, and they probably want to take money off the table. Another analog, um, BlackRock, for the first time this quarter, saw outflows. First time in three years, world's largest asset manager. So I think that's an important sign as well, that this isn't just a crypto thing. I think in the broader market, there's just a lot of uncertainty and fear. All right. Melton, thank you so much. Melton Demurers of CoinShares. I'm Just paying attention, at least. Yeah, totally. In terms of the so smart board plasma. plasma. Yeah, right. the, the controversy. That's another <laughs> civil war <laughs> brewing in and of itself. Curiosity, guys. If, if you looked at that chart, Correct. we did nothing for so many months and then broke lower, what would you say? One of the things I say all the time is the market doesn't give you a long time to sell the highs. And in, and in terms of Bitcoin, and we discussed it, to buy the lows. And the fact that it was hovering around that, you know, 6,500, 6,000 level for so long indicated to me, you know, the market's not going to give you four months to buy something at the bottom, which is why I thought we may take another leg down. Here we are now. So maybe you are seeing a capitulatory move to the downside. And I had one more thing. I know we're on. If you back out, and I know you can't do this, but if you were to back out the move from 7,500 to 20,000, just mm -hmm. eliminate that right. and talk about Bitcoin now, you'd say this is a pretty healthy correction within a market that's done extraordinarily well over the last few years. The perception of it has changed because of what happened in December. Right. All right. Shares of Cisco are uh, soaring about 5% in the after hours on its earnings report. The stock has been getting hammered with the rest of the tech sector. We will tell you what the CEO just said that could be a good sign for the group. Plus, it is hard out there for a hedge fund, and the man who runs Illinois' state pension fund says, I told you so. He will explain why he says hedge funds are bad for investors. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Cisco moving higher after reporting earnings. Let's get to Josh Lichten in San Francisco with more. Hey, Josh. So, Mel, on this Cisco call, CEO Chuck Robbins right away really asked about the impact, if at all, of tariffs on his business. Take a listen. The tariffs were immaterial to us in Q1, the 10% tariffs. I think we implemented them with a month ago, so we did not see any impact. But I can tell you that uh, from a demand perspective, when we implemented the pricing changes, which we told you we would on the last call, uh, we saw absolutely no demand change uh, from the, you know, the week before and the week after we did that. He also talked about the macro economy, Mel. He said it is showing resilience that not many expected. Uh, enterprise strength, too, he called out. Uh, Chuck Robbins saying that was consistent globally across the portfolio. In terms of the segments here, infrastructure platforms, that came in at a better than expected, $7.6 billion. That's the company's uh, core networking offerings related to switching and routing. Applications came in at $1.4 billion. Security up 11% to $651 million. The Q2 guidance, Cisco saying they did normalize that to exclude this business that was divested. They now expect growth between 5 and 7% on the top line. Non-GAAP EPS between 71 to 73 cents. For a lot more about what Chuck Robbins has to say about this quarter, tune into Mad Money tonight where you hear Jim Cramer interview him about the quarter and I'm sure a lot more. Mel, back to you. All right. Thank you so much, Josh Lipton. Uh, the stock is up by almost 5% right now. So, Guy, where do we go with Cisco and what they see? I mean, they report a little bit later than a lot of the other tech companies. 
And their guidance is good when it comes to enterprise spending. Listen, the quarter was very good. They beat on EPS, they beat on revenue. That's a good sign. Operating margins better than the street was looking for. Almost 32%. The street was probably 30.5%. Very good. The question is, second quarter guide in line, not a big deal. What are you willing to pay for this company? Probably trades close to 14 times next year's earnings. They probably have about a 10, 9.5, 10% EPS growth rate, 6% revenue growth. What's the right multiple? I would be inclined to buy it on a breakout, in my opinion, above $48, which has been resistance a number of times, than to try to buy it here. I'm more inclined to fade it here than to buy it here. So what's interesting is Chuck Robbins talked about the fact that they didn't see any demand decrease after they had those tariffs put on. But what we do know from the GDP reports is that people were kind of front-loading a lot of purchases. So maybe that's the effect here. Maybe their guidance was good, but it wasn't wasn't blockbuster. It wasn't like they raised it necessarily. Um, So maybe that's what we're seeing here. So I guess I'm more in the camp with Guy where wait for the momentum on this one because there might be some other things going on behind the curtain uh, to be concerned about. And of course, in today's session, tech was amongst the biggest losers sector-wise, although Facebook and Alphabet at one point in the session really bucked the trend there, each up about 2%, um, close off of those highs, as did the entire markets, but still were bright spots, Karen. They were. I know, because that's my biggest position, is Alphabet. It it really was in the the black, rather, most of the day, even near the the lows. So, I mean, we talk about FANG and FANG trade is over. To me, the N... And the A are different, uh, the different valuations, right, yeah, right? Are completely different metrics. And Facebook and Alphabet are, uh, uh, to me, very much in the value camp right here. You know, it, it's really interesting. I went back and I looked at a, a five-year chart of Apple, and when you know, I'm not recommending the stock, but when you look at a five-year chart of Apple, you've had two times this cycle where it's been down a lot more than this. And if you bought it halfway through its decline, it was a hell of a trade. So the whole idea of banks is similar to technology. We've been underweight FANG because we're underweight communication services. Our, our next move, which I've said publicly, is to, is to lift that at least to an equal weight because they've paid the price. They've, they've been hit like they've been hit in the past during the cycle. It's really important for, for investors to remember these kind of high volatility stocks. Okay, so let's look at the NASDAQ comp, up 85% in the last two years. Is a 15% correction over... Is that too much? 85% since the February of 16 low, and we're making it out like this is the end of the world. If I told you you were going to get an 85% increase, but you had to suffer a 15% drop, nobody would say, no, I can't take it, right? And that's, and that's literally what we're in. Small business optimism is it near a record high. It stayed high to the enterprise number out of Cisco. Consumer confidence remains near a record high. ISM confidence. It, it's, it's just a good business environment. All right. Well, speaking of tech, options traders were making huge bets on Apple today. Mike goes to San Francisco to break it all down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah. So Apple did see about one and a half times its average daily options volume. And while seeing only 150% may not seem like a lot, this is one of the most active options. So that actually represents a pretty significant bump up in activity. And where we saw the most activity in Apple options was the November 195 calls. Those are going to expire at the end of this week. We saw over 50,000 of those trading at an average price of just over 80 cents. So sort of to what we were just hearing, those might be bets that Apple's worst may be behind it, at least for this week, and it may make a bump above 195 by at least that 80 cents by the end of the week. So that would be up around the 196, 197 level by Friday. All right, Mike, thanks. Uh, Mike Coe in San Francisco for us. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. 
Well, as the latest 13F filings trickle in, it is clear this has been a hard knock year for hedge funds. Is this industry facing an existential threat? Plus, travel stocks taking off with the holidays just around the corner, 40 days away from Christmas, remember. Tonight, we're hearing from the CEO of Expedia. Ahead of the busiest travel season of the year is a holiday surge coming for the stock. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. 13F filings rolling in amid what has been a hard knock year for hedge funds. Leslie Pickers back in the newsroom with more on why it's been hard out there for the funds. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, that's right. We're seeing a lot of movement in bank stocks as 13F filings trickle out. Buffett taking a new stake in J.P. Morgan and adding to his position in Bank of America and Goldman Sachs. Het Tiger Management adding some new calls on Citibank of America and J.P. Morgan. Apple was also a popular ad in the quarter. Tiger Global's Chase uh, Coleman took a new stake, as did Appaloosa's David Tepper, buying 100,000 shares worth about $20 million. Now, these numbers are as of September 30th. Notable, though, because they show how hedge funds were positioned before October, which was a very tough month for them. Energy and technology funds down about 8% and 5% respectively, and activist funds were down an average of 5.4% for the month. Now, one exception is Pershing Square's Bill Ackman. His fund was up 8.5% in the quarter, and he said in a third-quarter investor call earlier today that his winning positions, ADP, Starbucks, and Chipotle, were actually helpful to his portfolio because they have such little hedge fund ownership. It's sort of bet against the hedge funds. has been a good trade uh, this year, and hedge funds tend to be shorter term in nature. Hedge fund industries had a poor year. Currently, most funds down for the year. Um, people facing significant redemptions, you know, forced sellers. Um, and so we think that is an uh, interesting uh, you know, sort of factor. Now, tomorrow is the deadline for many investors and hedge funds to give their notices about whether or not they want to redeem. We're already seeing many predictions in the industry for a wave of closure as a result of this recent performance, Melissa. Leslie, is Bill characterized um, in the tables as an activist fund? Because those positions were passive Good positions. Point. Exactly. He is still characterized as an activist okay. fund. That's what his fundraising materials uh, indicate. But he did note some investor questions surrounding um, his active versus passive positioning and some of the recent holdings that he has. And he said that just because you're not seeing us in the media on CNBC, he mentioned CNBC by name, uh, in the newspaper rattling the tables doesn't mean that we're not doing active positioning and uh, having those conversations behind the scene for what it's worth. All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. Well, Mark Levine is the chairman of the Illinois State Board of Investment. He eliminated hedge funds from portfolios under his management, saying they were destroying enormous value. Mark joins us now. Mark, that was a while ago. So how, how has it been in terms of your performance not having hedge funds in there? Well, remember, we, we took out the hedge fund category, right. but we retained some great managers. So we, we moved into our equity book, and those managers are actually doing quite well. And those are names like SRS and Tiger Global and Viking, those sorts of names, TCI, Ichigo. Um, right, so, so they're doing quite well. Now, we, we redeemed about 70 hedge funds. And now some of them, because of the, all, it takes like years to actually get out of them, they've actually been dragging our performance down. So we're just kind of waiting to sort of get rid of them. And that'll happen fairly soon. And that'll, that's sort of where we want to be. What is your investment committee saying these days about what the market environment is and how you want to be positioned overall in terms of your allocations? 
Yeah, so I think generally we're bullish. Um, we're not making any dramatic changes to, um, to the allocation. The one place where I am a, I'm a bit nervous is in the corporate lending space, where they basically had a free, the leveraged corporate lending space, where they basically had a free pass in 2008 because all that liquidity came in to save the banks, save all the you know, garbage mortgage derivatives. And that, re, that enabled that entire industry to refinance. And I'm worried that we're sort of really long in the tooth. You think we're long in the tooth on nine years going into, you know, in an economic recovery. We're probably about 20 years since leveraged corporate paper has really faced a test. And so that's, we're, you know, we're, and we're making some moves in the portfolio along those lines. Let me ask you, back to the hedge fund. Good call, first of all. Um, but let me ask you something. So when markets are straight up, that's a tough time for hedge funds. But if flattish like this, they should really do well, which isn't happening. What would it take for you to rethink that position? Is it pricing? Is it years of outperformance? What would it take? Right. So when, when we think about hedge funds, we divide it into the two groups. There's the derivative books and the stock pickers. The derivative books have been just awful. I mean, they've generated sub 2% returns three years, five years. They just don't make any sense. They're piles of derivatives. They sell themselves as like diversifiers, which means you should pay them about 20 basis points, right? That's what we pay our, our bond guys, which who are, who are the real diversifiers. So that, there's, there's no appetite for that. And again, on the stock picker side, okay, we, we like a few of them. There's about 10,000 hedge funds, about half of them are stock pickers. And we think there's about 50 or 100 good ones. We have 10 on our portfolio. They're very, the good ones are really hard to get into. They're all closed. All the names I gave you, those are closed funds. And, and you know, so we're very happy with our portfolio. And it's actually not, and, and the performance has been like multi-hundred basis points of alpha. Um, now, it's really, the great performance really isn't me or us. It's, we've actually had a relationship with a firm called Rock Creek. Uh, Sonny Bechelas has a terrific team down there. They've, and they got us in these things years and years ago. And we're really getting the benefit for that right now. So, Mark, I'm curious. It sounds like what you're paying for, whether it's a 2 and 20 hedge fund structure or not, is really just a good manager. And it doesn't matter what wrapper it's in. Is that, so it's not so much hedge funds, it's just that there maybe aren't that many good managers that, out there. That is everything. That's exactly what our philosophy is. Hedge fund, a hedge fund structure is a negative. We don't like a hedge fund structure, but we're willing to deal with it if we can get a great manager. So of those 10,000 hedge funds out there, there might be 100 great managers. And you know, I come on shows like this and sort of, you know, my biggest fans are actually those 100 guys because they're, they're getting really taken advantage of by the other 9,900 that are sort of trading off of the great returns of the great managers because they happen to be structured the same, which is completely you know, irrelevant. Mark, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Melissa. Mark Levine of the state of Illinois. Guy Dami, where do you want to go in terms of uh, some of the 13F filings that we've heard about? I think, initi I think Buffett, initi he initiated a position in J.P. Morgan, right? Yes. I think that, to me, is the most, in there are a lot of interesting ones. To sure. me, that's the most interesting. Obviously, J.P. Morgan's had a tremendous run and probably the most expensive on valuation or one of the most expensive. You have to ask yourself, you know, he, he's a value investor initiating a position in a stock that he sees, still sees value in. I think that sort of augurs well for JPM. All right. Uh, a lot of turbulence for shares of Expedia in the past month. The CEO is speaking to Seema Modi tonight about the holiday travel season. Christmas is only 40 days away, Guy. Is it time to get on board or bail out? The traders will have a lot to say. Fast Money's back live from Times Square in two minutes.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Travel stocks back in focus as we head into the holiday season. Christmas is 40 days away. Mm-hmm. And it's Keep been a wild it. ride for Expedia in the past month. Seema Modi just spoke with the Expedia CEO, Mark Okerstrom. She's live from Los Angeles for us. Hi, Seema. Hey, Melissa. The travel industry is bracing for a potential economic slowdown. I did speak to Expedia CEO Mark Okerstrom exclusively here on CNBC about some of, of how the consumer tends to respond in a potential economic slowdown and some of the warning signs that he's following. Listen, listen in. Oftentimes what happens is that consumers are less willing to book that trip six months from now, 12 months from now. They're like, well, you know what, let's wait and see how we're doing. Uh, secondly is we do see more of a mix towards domestic travel away from international. Uh, third is we do see often a trade down. People are spending less. But interestingly, again, it's often offset by the fact that in a real downturn, sometimes you get a four-star hotel for a three-star price. And so customers are getting very, uh, better value. In terms of the global outlook, booking holding CEO Glenn Fogel told me earlier today while Brexit and trade wars are a big risk, he still expects the consumer to spend money on travel. He's actually doubling down on investments in China with big stakes in Didi, Meituan and Ctrip. But travel investor Brad Gerstner of Altimeter Capital, which has about $3 billion in assets under management, he was a bit more cautious, although he did point out that in prior economic downturns in 2008 and 2011, it's the online travel operators that tend to outperform because that's when hotels become more dependent on these travel out uh, these travel platforms to get their inventory out to a broader pool of consumers. So ironically, Melissa, it wasn't cruises or the Amalfi Coast that is a big topic here at Focusrite, uh, this travel conference. It's the state of the consumer and the economy. Back to you. All right. Seema, thanks. Seema Modi out in Los Angeles for us. Guy, what do you like in the travel space? Well, Expedia is sort of interesting. You know, you look at their quarter, third quarter of the report at the end of October was a decent quarter. They guided up for the rest of the year as they should have done. Valuation, 19 times forward earnings. It's not a ridiculously expensive stock. So if you do believe the consumer is fine, and if you do believe the stock market itself is probably in the ninth inning, then maybe you get a late-year bounce. I mean, Anthony DiClemente, I think he's at ISCore Evercore now, has a $140 price target on it. Percentage-wise, that's a pretty big move. So I think the risk-reward for EXPE sets up pretty well. So in the space, the, the big beneficiary of the oil collapse, obviously the airlines, it's a huge cost for them. All, so United traded, I think, earlier today. It was up at an all-time high. I mean, the business travelers still there. The consumers still there. Stocks aren't that expensive. Yeah. Well, on the airlines, if you look at the dollar is stronger, overseas travel. It's interesting. Expedia said that international travel was cut back. I wouldn't be surprised to see that overseas travel start to pick up again because it's going to be cheaper the to go overseas. overseas travel, meaning U.S. Out, yeah, outbound, outbound, as opposed outbound, right, to exactly. international. As opposed to international like, right, before we had the emerging markets folks coming maybe right, to right. the U.S. or to Europe. China. I'm saying U.S. people maybe going to Europe because the euro's weaker. So to me, if I'm looking at it, maybe something like a Delta Airlines is a way to play that theme. Yeah. You got business confidence is near a high. Consumer confidence is near a high. The dollar is near a high. It's at a high, and and incomes are up. It's hard to make the case that this is an environment, and the stocks pull back. It's tough to make the case that this cyclical area is so bad. Final trades up next. Final trade time. Tony Dwyer. We're going for banks and tech on the slop, pop, and drop retest. Slop, pop, and drop. Slop, pop, and drop. That sounds oh, yeah. like something you get at uh, Popeye's Chicken or something. I <laughs> like XOP. You try that one out. Oil. 
So the blank means XOP, by yeah. the way. Yeah. XOP. Very good. It's tricky. Karen. Yes, I love how it acted today, and the valuation is very good right here. Alphabet. Favorite position. Guy. It's nice to have a Tony, isn't it? I mean, yes, thank good. you, Tony, for yeah. the It brings a certain your energy. A certain energy, a certain gravity. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> 40 days to Christmas, everybody. 40 days. Get, go out there and get on the Amazon machine and buy, 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 people. Why not? Right, Mel? Why not? But cybersecurity stocks, on the other hand, very interesting, Symantec. I would be inclined to take a look at that tomorrow, Melissa Lee. All right. That does it for us here on Fast. We'll see you tomorrow at 5 for more. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.